Good morning. My name is Spencer Brose, and I'm the lead pastor here at St. Stephen's. And what a blessing it is to be here with you today. As we gather, as Pastor Meany said on this first Sunday of Lent, a season of preparation. Getting our hearts and our heads ready for the fullness of the resurrection. But before we can experience that in all of its beauty and glory, we have to travel to the cross. So Lent carries us to the cross. In this season, as we journey to the cross together, we have invited you to join us in, in a devotional. Um, and that devotion also has a couple classes that are uh, have a weekly guide that they're following to be connected to it on Sunday mornings. Uh, and uh, one on Wednesday evening, we added uh, Tammy Lydon, our music director, is teaching one on Wednesday evenings at um, from 7 to 8, and it has a Zoom link available. And if you have more questions, feel free to ask me, and we'll get you connected. Or you can put it on your Connect card. Great way to use that. And also just want to mention that um, I'm drawing from that material for today's, or the included material, as uh, we look at today's sermon. Our text for today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. <clears throat> we live in a world that has given rise to a particular group of folks who have perfected, short scripted, carefully crafted marketing techniques, and we call them influencers. Anybody familiar with that word influencers? Did I say it? I said it right? Yeah, in my head that sounded weird anyway. You know, like TikTok, every once in a while you're like, some of them will say they're sponsored, others are like, it doesn't say it at the bottom, but I know that thing was sponsored, or Instagram, or, you know, the reels, and different, even the still images. Influencers. There's even articles in Forbes and other finance magazines about the rise in the influence of influencers in the overall economy. You might think of them as kind of a, of an afterthought or kind of a small thing, not at all. 
Not at all. Around the world, more than 50 million people consider themselves to be influencers. Another name they like to use is creators or creatives. We are creatives. 50 million people. Now, there's probably more than that that like to think of themselves as that, but like technically people who make money from this thing. Or, or 50, over 50 million people, may even be higher. This was a 2022 article. <clears throat> Investments into this area number numbered in five billion at five billion dollars in 2021 into this arena of marketing through these quick short um, ways of showing you a lifestyle that you want to be a part of and it estimates that while five billion has been put into it they've earned over a hundred billion from a result of it 20 time return on an investment from these little in um, little marketing things that we think of as maybe on the side or have little to do with anything but by those numbers alone they tell me that they have a lot to do with our, our world right now and our culture and how we view it and how we see life and much of what they do is around um, marketing a lifestyle there's fashion and transportation and other things, but really they're, they're selling a lifestyle. Different lifestyles, but they're selling a lifestyle. Um, perhaps it's fitness and nutrition. We'll feel better if we take the right um, Pilates class or we start juicing or get the right mix of supplements going into our system. Or maybe it's business startups or work-life balance. We all know that phrase pretty well. And, you know, we can have it all if we just master our mornings or we reach that elusive inbox zero, right? Sometimes it's around that phrase, living your best life now, motivation. Our families will be happier if we read this book, if we go on this trip, or we do this thing. Or any number of carefully crafted trends that essentially add up to the, that perfect is possible if we try harder. The perfectly possible is try harder. At least that's what they're selling. At least that's what it seems like they're selling. But what if things aren't getting better? They never get to perfect, no matter how hard we try. What if perfection isn't just unattainable, it's not even possible? We, even though we may not believe in perfection, we still are influenced in that concept of if we try harder, things will be better. Now, when I say perfection, by the way, there is a Methodist theological connotation to that word perfection, and that's a, 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 a different thing altogether. If, to tell you more about it, it'll take a long time. We're going to talk about it. But if you have that theological concept in your brain, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the world's idea of perfection. All right. Perfection according to the world's, um, to the way the world sees it. And as I've said recently, even Mary Poppins was only practically perfect in every way, right? We're never going to have the perfect life, perfect relationships, perfect job, perfect school life, perfect whatever, no matter how hard we work at it. We are imperfect people experiencing imperfect situations while living in an imperfect world, 
However, and this is a huge however, we are deeply loved by God. And that is the most important part of any of it. Now, Jesus is not imperfect. Jesus is, in fact, the opposite. Jesus is perfect and blameless. We know him in Scripture. However, he experienced life in an imperfect world, and this Scripture passage describes the most imperfect of all situations. Maybe not the most imperfect, but quite an imperfect situation. And I think we can learn how to live in light of God's love for us despite the world's imperfect situations as we take a closer look at what's happening here. This story follows immediately upon the heels of another fantastic story, the story of Jesus' baptism. Um, You probably heard it a few weeks ago at the beginning of the year when we um, celebrated Jesus' baptism. But I'm going to read some of that text to you this morning just as, uh, as a reminder. Matthew 3, beginning at 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John, this is his cousin, at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John being the one who consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is a cosmic-level event. The fullness of God is experienced in this one passage. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all together in one place, in one moment, on full display. And from that moment where Jesus is very publicly endorsed by, by God and his identity is declared before all these others, we read that next that verse in uh, first verse of chapter four. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. From this moment, this high moment, to this moment of isolation, and the tempter doesn't tempt him during those forty days. The passage makes clear that it's after this 40-day period of time, when Jesus is at his weakest, he's famished. I've said I'm starving before. I don't know what it means to be starving. Jesus knew what it meant in that moment. And at his body's weakest, the tempter comes in and offers him the world. As we look at this text, there's a lot going on in this text that's deeper than we have time to do right now. But one of the things that is happening here is there are a lot of parallels being made between Jesus' experience in the wilderness and the Israelites' experience in the wilderness in the Exodus. Jesus is connecting with both the Israelites and also the lawgiver, Moses himself, in this text. The wilderness itself, by invoking that word, any good Hebrew is going to think of the Exodus when you say wilderness. The wilderness that they went through for 40 years, not 40 days, on their way to the promised land. That's that 40 days parallels 
the 40 years of the Hebrews in the wilderness, there are other 40s in Scripture too, but it's making a direct correlation between those. And every time Jesus responds to the tempter, he's responding with text from Moses from Deuteronomy that was written during the time of the Exodus. Those connections are being made, and they're intentional. Jesus isn't replacing that, but he is the next of that, and he connects with both the people and their leader in their fullness and completion. And while Moses himself even came, um, was succumbed by temptation and wasn't able to enter the promised land, Jesus overcame them all. What's one of the neat things um, that we see here is that if you, if you generalize each of Jesus' temptations, they hit pretty broad categories that in, in some instances you might be able to conceive that every, every human um, uh, temptation or the ideas, the, the categories of human uh, temptation were covered. One with the, with the food at, when he was hungriest, human comfort, uh, desires born from our flesh, um, with the uh, uh, kingdom, the misuse of our gifts and our power for our own glory and benefit rather than serving others. It's a desire born out of our conceit, our pride, our selfness rather than otherness. Uh, and then the third one, to seize power by shortcuts, by equating a particular agenda with God's will. It's a desire born out of our need for control. We might have never think that we have that level of, of uh, power and control, but we all try to control things that are beyond our control. And while Jesus, the perfect Son of God, prevails, and there's a lot of varying thoughts about to what degree would Jesus actually have been tempted, there's a lot of stuff. Again, that's a whole other hour of talking about stuff. But he prevails, and we have still have something to learn from living in the midst of imperfect situations or troubling times as we look how Jesus dealt with this and as we consider the fullness of the gospel. As we consider our worlds and the cultural claims to try harder, there is that unattainable goal perfection. Again, this is not John Wesley's theological word perfection, but our worldly um, standard of perfection. And if we take a good long look at it, you might consider what is, you might ask the question, what's at the heart of this pursuit? What are we, what is, what is at the heart of this trying harder? And you might say that it is an attempt to manage our pain, our shame, and our fear. If I just try harder, I can avoid these things. The temptation of perfectionism is similar to the temptations that Jesus encountered in the desert. If you don't want to feel pain, then turn this stone into bread and, and eat till you're busting at the seams. If you never want to experience shame, then control the world with political power. If you never want to experience fear, then call upon the angels to wrap you in bubble wrap and stay far from the ledge. All we have to do is manage all risk and control everything and everybody in our world. Easy enough. And it's not. We know it's not. 
Yet we still have this idea in our head if we just try harder. The illusion of temptation, I mean of perfection is tempting. We want to, we want those things. We want, we, and, and they're good things. Some of them, some of them are good things. But to the extent that which we seek them and try to control them and we miss out on where God is most active in our lives. For it is in our shortcomings that God shines through the brightest. But in this passage, the tempter is essentially telling Jesus, you deserve better than the hand God has dealt you. Out here wandering alone all you're by yourself, hungry and powerless in the desert. Not that far removed from what the serpent was telling Eve in the garden. Oh, that tree, you can eat from it. You're not going to die. You just God doesn't want you to compete with his understanding of good and evil. I'm summing up. Those, that is not a verbatim of the text. But our reality is that too often we feel stuck in the lives that we didn't pick, stuck in bodies that fall apart or break for no reason we can discern, stuck with grief we can't move past, or stuck in so many different ways. And we want to believe that if we just try harder, that things will be better. But Lent is the season to let go of all that. It's a season of repentance, and not just repentance of our sins and our shortcomings, but taking a deeper look at, at our limitations, our frailty as humans, and recognize our truly utter dependence upon God for every breath we take. And Jesus doesn't take the bait of the tempter's deceit. And summing up all the texts, he effectively declares that he's chosen to trust God. Instead, telling the tempter to hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back. He does come back, doesn't he? Right before the crucifixion. Not only do we see the glory of God the Father reflected in God the Son at the baptism with the Holy Spirit descending, but we experience that glory shining through even in the wilderness, even in this dark, hard, challenging experience. Too often we uh, buy into that God's grace only shines in those hallelujah moments, those mountaintops or Cronus experiences that Pastor Meany spoke about last week. And while that perspective certainly gives us a broader look at the world around us and a sense of closeness with God, I believe that God's grace shines even brighter through the darkness of our lives and those wilderness experiences. And I'm not saying go seek them out. They'll find you. <laughs> but even in the midst of those, God's grace shines brighter. And as for closeness with God, it's really easy to get the end, to the end of that passage and run through verse 11 really fast. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited upon him. Sometimes we skip over that too quickly. But in Jesus' weariness, God did send angels to comfort him in his hunger, his isolation, and certainly his pain. If we read that, passage without the last verse it sounds like jesus bootstrapped himself through the whole thing just pull myself up by the bootstraps and i'll just take care of it all and and if he simply did it that he did it completely and utterly alone 
He went through the temptations on his own, but God didn't leave his beloved child to figure it out afterwards. God sent angels to comfort and care for Jesus. And we may not experience this level of grace, or at least in such a cosmically amazing manner, but it is still extended towards us. And, and remember, there's not a verse here that's like 11.5. That's because there is a verse 12, so I had to say 11.5, somewhere in between there. That says, but Jesus, after the angels came, but Jesus sent them away because he was going to figure it out on his own. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It simply ends with the, Jesus, the angels came and waited on him. And God extends an extra measure of grace towards us. Our only part in it is to welcome it when it arrives. When we acknowledge the imperfections within us or the situations around us, we make room for God's grace to shine. It's going to shine regardless of what we will or will not do. But our eyes have a difficult time of seeing it when we don't make room. And when God's grace shows up, our only job is to welcome it in regardless of the form in which it appears. And the neat thing is that through the community of faith, through the church itself that Jesus gave us, that sometimes we get to be those glimmers of grace, those angels in waiting that God sends to people in their wilderness. When we are in the midst of our own wilderness experiences, we have the blessing to extend God's blessings to those who are. We certainly live in a world that seems to be preoccupied with either perfect or try harder. It can be both or either or. But when in reality there is no such thing to trying hard enough to achieve perfection. And when we're honest with ourselves and reflecting that honesty to God in prayer and living, we make room for God's grace to work on us, around us, and within us. And it is in those moments that we can know with certainty that blessed are the imperfect. Amen. As we pray, I'm going to Pray, uh, use the words from material provided through our devotionals. Let's pray. Blessed are we who see the impossibility of solving today. It can't be done. God, there are lists on lists and errands on errands and a taste like tin in our mouths of the unfinishedness and imperfectibility of our lives. Are we counting items instead of knowing what counts? God, help us live here, seeing the whole truth of what is. Blessed are we who walk toward the discomfort, bringing what gifts we have and our sufferings too, whether of illness or loss, grief or betrayal, confusion or powerlessness. Blessed are we who scoot up close so we can whisper our loves, our fears, all that feels too heavy to carry alone and all that we wish we could hold on to for longer. Show us what we love. Show us what we never want to lose. And show us what we no longer need here in this beautiful limited day as we place our trust and hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.